Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our robotics and AI community in Australia and sometimes further afield. Today, my guest is Brent Belinsky. He co-founded at AU Manufacturing, a website, newsletter and community in the late 2018s, and it has been his focus ever since. At AU Manufacturing aims to provide an honest and comprehensiveness in its news coverage and analysis that simply isn't available anywhere else. Based on website traffic and the size of its online community, it is the number one title for Australian manufacturing. Brent, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure, Nikki. Thanks for the invitation. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how it led you to co-founding at AU Manufacturing. Certainly, I'd be delighted to share a little of myself and hopefully uh, not in too tedious a way because uh, you know, I can ramble like anyone else, but um, let's let's do our best. So I, I studied a journalism degree and I wanted to be a features writer and that was a long time ago and finished in about 2016. I was in love with uh, long form, solidly researched reporting of the kind that I would read in The Good Weekend and The Bulletin. Um, might, be, might be showing my, my age here, but that's no longer around and hasn't been for a while, but it was a lovely weekly magazine. And uh, at the time, there was sort of a much better set of economics and a much better outlook for um, long-form writing than there is now. Um, I worked a few non-writing jobs and got fired from one of them and then finally ended up at a trade magazine writing about the liquor industry in 08 or 09 or thereabouts. And that was a wonderful job. It was my first uh, full-time scribbler job. And that came with a ton of complimentary drinks that my body can um, no longer metabolize in such a way. And um, that unfortunately ended after about six months because the publisher couldn't adapt so well to the internet age. And um, then I went back to less stimulating work. I worked as a storeman at a university bookshop that no longer exists. And that was also because of the shitty economics attached to publishing. And I turned 30 at that job and I was pushing a trolley around a store during the day and freelancing for music magazines at night. And in 2012, I applied for a job at what was then Read Business Information, uh, writing for a trade magazine covering manufacturing. I had no experience whatsoever in manufacturing except for a job I worked for about a month and that was uh, weighing out and mixing powdered beverage ingredients by hand and even then I, I thought how the hell is this not automated uh, but anyway that's a digression and um, it was 2020, uh, 2012 excuse me and uh, the mining investment boom was in full swing. Uh, the dollar was above parity by a long way and manufacturing businesses were really struggling a lot of them. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of questions being asked about um, the, you know, the, the viability of manufacturing here, the car industry, which is not everything to do with manufacturing, but it's a fairly important sector or was back then, that was on its way out. And uh, there was a major prime minister's task force report at the time on what was needed for the industry to adapt. And so I um, stepped into this environment. So I knew very little about 
manufacturing, but I saw the, the underdog status it quite obviously had at the time, and that really appealed to me. And the more I got out and visited companies and saw what they were doing, I learned that many of them were actually prospering, and they weren't doing it by being cheaper and uh, quicker and more labor-intensive. They were doing it based on their brains and uh, deep knowledge of what the customer problem was and a lot of other very important things that haven't become less important over time. And so I got to see the other side that wasn't getting reported on. And I thought, well, why, why is this so? Why is it just that newspapers are talking about you know, smelters and uh, foundries and car manufacturers that are doing it tough when that's not the whole picture? And so I did a lot of freelancing while I was working in that magazine. I left in 2017 and I continued to freelance. Almost all of it was writing about manufacturing, whether it's for Engineers Australia's members magazine or doing copywriting or media releases for manufacturers and other jobs that are kind of to the side. Uh, I started AU Manufacturing in August 2018 with my business partner, Peter Roberts. He used to write for the Australian Financial Review and was um, just as big or probably a bigger nerd about manufacturing than I am. And uh, we're both very passionate about uh, manufacturing and the fact that there was close to no decent coverage of it uh, when we were having our discussions. And so we weren't happy with the enduring lack of interest in manufacturing by the regular media or by the uh, trade uh, press, um, which was tending towards sort of really dodgy advertorial and, and very little else offered. And instead of just whining about it, though we continue to whine quite a bit, uh, we started our own website, newsletter and community. And that's been going you know, reasonably strongly since. And um, yeah, as you mentioned in the intro, it is by uh, web traffic and a few other metrics, the number one title for manufacturing reportage and commentary in the country. And we're pleased with what we've done. It's not gonna make anyone rich, but I mean, I'd be doing something that wasn't publishing if that were the case. And so we added to that a podcast in July last year. And um, yeah, it's nice to be talking to a fellow host of a niche podcast. And um, yeah, I think that's entirely long enough for my intro. Well, congratulations. You certainly sound as though you've done uh, a variety of things and sounds to me as though you're a bit like me, not coming from a technical background and yet here we are reporting and working in a technical field. Well, let's hear it to muddling through. <laughs> Tell us a little bit how manufacturing has evolved in Australia since you started the newsletter. Sure. Um, from my point of view, there have been some fairly positive trends. I think the constant messaging about manufacturing being more than just physically making a thing on a production line has taken hold. Uh, there's been a smiley curve model that's been talked about endlessly since, I guess, 2015, 16 and beyond. And production is in the middle, middle excuse me, of the value chain. And on either side, uh, there are vital steps including R&D design, logistics, and after-sales service. And that model has been pushed by the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre and the now-defunct Innovative Manufacturing CRC. And it's regularly acknowledged as an important way to understand manufacturing, much better than just this is what happens in a factory. If you can make it cheaper, you will. If you can't, someone overseas will do it. And that's the beginning and end of the story. Uh, and... So I think it's a more holistic view of manufacturing. I think it matches well with the situation in Australia where production is not always going to be viable, but you can contribute a lot more uh, on either side of the uh, value chain and you can still justifiably call yourself 
manufacturer, even though you might use perhaps a contract manufacturer or um, something else and might not actually assemble a finished good yourself. So I think that sort of a viewpoint with more than production, with manufacturing being heavily dependent on IP and skills rather than just a, a place where goofy dudes do manual work is a, a very much more healthy way of looking at it and much closer to the reality of things. And uh, I think, you know, uh, it's like anything else, it's a model, so it's not perfect. The map is not the territory. And I think it's a result of it. Sometimes production gets a little underplayed, um, but, you know, like I said, it's been on the whole a positive and uh, no model is perfect. And so another thing I think has been a positive has been what I view as some positive discussions about the importance of getting engineering, scientific and other researchers at universities involved, whether it's to contribute to companies through applied research or for them to take the plunge, leave academia and have a crack at starting their own companies preferably hardware companies, but um, software is cool too, but it's not something that's always central to what I'm looking at. And so I believe um, also that um, there's a lot more that needs to be done to win the, the propaganda war, I guess you might like to call it. And um, that things are probably going to get uh, a little worse in terms of the economy before they get better. But I think that there's been a lot more money going into startups and there's been a lot of good to report on in the last few years, I'm happy to say. And it's just been a real pleasure of the job to see so many uh, men, women and non-binary people having a go and starting a new business and high-tech manufacturers being capable of raising much more seed and venture money than they were in years gone by. And so I will add a couple more uh, positive trends that I'd like to speak on. Now, one has been on the recycling slash circular economy discussion progression, and that's gone a long way since 2018. It used to be a rarity for a company to try and find any use for an end of life uh, plastic, for example, or tires or what have you, but now it's, it's becoming quite common. And um, yeah, I'm not sure if we're gonna have the capacity to recycle and upcycle everything at this point, but companies are increasingly using materials that used to just be dumped as a matter of course. And uh, there's you know, a real sort of commercial demand out there. I think that's driving uh, environmental and social responsibility uh, where there used to be fewer, fewer incentives to. And so lastly, I think, the, the, I think that the pandemic has finally reminded people of the importance of being able to design and make things in country. And we can probably return to COVID uh, later on in the discussion if you want. What do you think our biggest challenges are in manufacturing in Australia? Yeah, that's a big hairy question. Uh, I'll do my best, but I won't pretend that my answer is gonna be comprehensive or seamless. Um, I think that based on some of the uh, people who are much smarter than myself that I've spoken to, these are some of the things I'd put forward. So I think the most glaring challenge is the structure of the manufacturing landscape in Australia. Um, it, it, as a rule, we're a small business nation uh, and you know, it's no different in manufacturing. It's a large number of small companies. And so sometimes the figure gets pointed out that 87% of employing manufacturing businesses have between one and 19 people. And many of those are smaller than small businesses. They're micro businesses, if you will, which have uh, four or fewer employees. I think the ABS defines it. 
And um, yeah, if you ha have a team of not very many people, then you probably don't have very much time to do very much besides just get stuff made and get stuff out the door. You might not have time to update a old website that might have blog uh, entries that were made in 2014 or so. And that's not a great thing to have a customer or potential customer go to your site and think, oh, they don't care enough to, to even you know, update things here. Uh, it, you know, that it, it just looks like a sign of carelessness sometimes, but it's important to, um, you know, be modern with your website and the way you present yourself, whether it's there or elsewhere. And so, you know, it's, besides not having time for a website, you might not have a time, have enough time for very comprehensive uh, networking program. You might not have time to think about things like cybersecurity, which are only going to get more important. And you probably see it as a bit of a luxury to get out there and um, meet up with people at research at research institutes or uh, wherever who are doing work that's aligned with what you're doing in your company. And so, yeah, you're, you're, if you're in such a company, which many manufacturers are, it's sort of hard to be strategic. You can work out where you might be in five years from now. It might be hard to think about, you know, hey, just get through the day. And so as a result, uh, you know, the the uh, long-term prospects of a company can can suffer if you can't think in long-term uh, ways. So another challenge is that for a long time, Australians have been really keen to invest in mining, mining houses, actual houses, banks and other things that are, you know, arguably less risky than manufacturing, especially if you're manufacturing something of significant complexity. And, uh, you know, let's face it, manufacturing is hard to begin with, especially if there's a culture that puts other industries ahead of it in terms of investment, in terms of prestige, in terms of God knows what else. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember speaking recently to a pretty well-known entrepreneur who was in the commercialization game. It's a very, very interesting business and he's commercialized a lot of stuff out of universities and it's generally on the very, very high tech site. And he said that he doesn't see his company as being in competition with other manufacturers. And instead his competition is for investment and he's in competition with mines and real estate and whatever else that might be more appealing for people who have deep pockets. And so that's an obvious challenge. So um, yeah, I can't blame people too much for where they choose to plonk their money. We all do what's easiest, but I think as the Australian culture is, I don't think it lends Itself to taking a punt on something that may or may not make it. And so, uh, and finally, uh, these are, um, and these are probably uh, very no-brainer challenges to anyone who follows manufacturing and reads our website or has a vague curiosity. Uh, there are massive cost and labour pressures at the moment. And even when the labour market was, was less tight, we just sort of didn't produce enough engineers as a matter of course, or tradespeople for that matter, both are important. And uh, I think it's sort of a cultural issue. Again, if you don't give these, these, uh, these roles of the prestige that they deserve societally, then people might, you know, they might think, oh, well, why would I want to work there? Or, well, there's no money, there's, nobody cares about it. It's not something we do well. And so, you know, there's a responsibility on manufacturers to tell their story better. If they're looking for bright young engineers to join the company, they've probably got to be speaking to bright young engineers of tomorrow and telling them that, you know, we do manufacture things here and some of them are bloody good and um, there's a lot of excitement attached to developing them. 
and bringing them to the market. And so, yeah, uh, cost pressures are just nightmarish at the moment. Don't need to go into that, but if you've ever switched a light on, you've probably thought, wow, that's probably costing me money. And if you run a business that uses significantly more than just a light bulb to keep running, then you probably think pretty keenly about um, the costs attached to energy. So um, yeah, obvious one, but I think that's a set of things that are looming large in the minds of manufacturers, or at least the ones I speak to. What do you think Australians are known for in manufacturing um, in the space? And what do you, what are the biggest export stories that you know about? Right. Um, well, I did say that we do manufacture things well here, and I think it'd be um, incumbent on me to say exactly what. So let's go ahead. Um, I think that some of the things we do well are reflected in the manufacturing priorities of this government and the previous one. Things like, you know, heavily regulated industries. You hear MedTech said a lot, and for good reason. Two of the go-to examples for successful manufacturers that have been around for longer than I've been covering manufacturing and continue to be impressive are uh, ResMed and Cochlear, both multi-multi-billion dollar global companies who employ a high number of Australians. We have some natural advantages in food and beverage. We grow beautiful fruits, vegetables, grains, etc. Uh, I'm a vegetarian myself, but I'm told we make exceptionally good seafood and beef and everything else. And uh, we export a lot of food and beverage. And, uh, you know, you think of a Australia and if you're not an Australian, you probably think clean and green and they, they do things that over there that, that are you know, it seem well-regulated and it seems like they have high standards and, and it's no different for food. And so my own five sense is that Australian companies can be internationally competitive and I've seen ample evidence of this. When they have something that's hard to copy and it's based on novel, complicated IP and it solves a real problem and that's an important point. It has to answer a market need. Otherwise, it might be the smartest thing in the world, but if no one wants to buy it, then you're not going anywhere. And so in line with that, I think that there are real opportunities in the energy transition, uh, whether it's in storage products or generating dispatchable e electricity or answering any of the many, many, many challenges associated with storing and using hydrogen. Circling back to COVID, uh, positive and negative, how does it affect our industry? Right, um, well, there are some obvious pains in a lot of ways, especially for our friends in Victoria. Um, but I think that the COVID era has provided quite a few positives to, to think about for manufacturers. So uh, the, the MGC, I mentioned earlier, published a survey in 2021 that showed 72% of people in Australia thought manufacturing was important to the, the economy, and that was up 7% from pre-COVID levels. You would have seen stories of companies, you know, pivoting to make and sanitizer and hospital beds and ventilators and whatever else. And people notice something that and they think, you know, that's that's really awesome. And they they get it. The the idea of st strategically important industries is kind of an abstract concept. But if you are struggling to find important things and uh, companies are stepping in to fill that void, you you get a real understanding of their importance. And I think that's happened for a lot of people. And the the research bears that out. So I think that the importance of sovereign capability, and I think that's a really overused term, but it's an important one at the same time, has finally been realised by a lot of people. The, the Morrison government got it, I believe, 
even though I thought some of their grant decisions were poorly made. I think that the National Reconstruction Fund is, which is heavily allied to diversifying the economy and, and propping up sovereign capability, could provide a really important boost to, to the industry here. I think grants have their place, but I'm glad it's funding companies through debt, equity and guarantees. I think there's a real failure, as I mentioned earlier, in investing in manufacturers in this culture. And uh, there are countless examples of governments taking a stake or lending money or just otherwise giving support to companies who needed to scale up. And there are, you know, we hate to say picking winners in Australia, but there are plenty of examples where picking winners has yielded a positive result, whether it's in the US helping car makers exist through very, very difficult times during the GFC. It's a company called Tesla who's benefited quite uh, quite strongly from that. Um, and there are plenty of governments who sovereign wealth funds or investment vehicles that have taken a stake in some really important companies. And I don't think government can or should do everything, but I really think that they have a role to play here, given how shoddy we are at appreciating manufacturing as investors. And so I saw a lot of talk uh, during and after the COVID era, though I guess we're still in the COVID era, a lot of talk about reshoring. And uh, I think that it's been something that I've seen a lot of people talk about, but I haven't seen really good evidence to support that there's reshoring going on in a meaningful way. I would love for it to be produced, but everything seems to be anecdotal so far. So those are some of the things that I think people are thinking of as a result of the pandemic. And um, yeah, where we go from here is up to us as a nation. The robotic industry, how do you think this has grown and mature in the last uh, years and what challenges do, you, do they have just based on um, companies that you've come in contact with? Sure. Well, happily, I've seen some really fine examples of companies both adopting ro robotics and uh, creating solutions based on robotics to uh, provide to other companies. And I think obviously we've got a really strong culture of uh, blue sky and, and some applied research in Australia. Uh, and there are some really good stories your, your listeners will be familiar with to do with, for example, the Centre for Field Robotics at the University of Sydney or achievements by QUT and CSIRO, for example, in the Sub-T Challenge, and there are lots of others. So we do have good researchers here, don't have a huge cohort of, you know, robotic businesses, though some are around. Again, uh, I think the issue is getting the scale. So as adopters of robots, uh, you know, I've seen anecdotally some, some really good examples, but I think there's a long, long way to go. I've been told by the uh, International Federation of Robotics, I think the IFR, if that's their name, great. If it's not, apologies for butchering it. I've seen their research saying that uh, the two biggest drivers of robotics adoption in industry are through the electronics and automotive sectors. And Australia doesn't have much of either. So accordingly, we have pretty low adoption rates for, for density within manufacturing as far as robotics goes. So, I think um, among the factories that I've visited, the more prosperous ones tend to appreciate that automation is good for them and good for their workers. I'd like to mention an injection molding company, Holloway Group, which I visited a couple of months ago and which has about a dozen robots on deck and is looking to get more. So 
making a fairly basic product, injection molded goods of various kinds, but they can get a lot of mileage out of, out of robots and they can help their workers uh, be, you know, conduct business more smartly, get more done, fewer risks, better productivity, everyone, everyone wins. So I'm not too across the subject of uh, robotic startups, but I've talked to some really promising newer companies here like Reach Robotics, formerly Blueprint Lab and Glebe, and uh, Swarm Farm Robotics. I'm sort of dimly aware of Lyro Robotics, which is raising seed capital, I think, and they seem to be a bunch of smart people with a really useful technology that answers a real problem. And so there's also Contactile in Sydney, who I think we're both mutual fans of, and they seem to have a really impressive sensor solution for really, really difficult, enduring robotics problem, and that's dexterous manipulation. Robots are just, and always have been sort of clumsy, and I, I hope they can uh, improve on that and, and lead the world in that little corner of robotics. So, yeah, I, I guess others have said it, that um, commercial success in robotics is, is a really, really hard thing. You could point to countless examples of companies that have come out of MIT or other hubs of excellence, have gotten a lot of backing and yet just have folded because it's a really hard thing to do. And so I wish anyone who's who's trying to make a fist of it every success, they're probably not telling them anything new by saying it's a difficult thing they're doing, but it's an important thing. So I, I wish them every success. Hopefully some of them can, can become big companies and they can do it here and uh, create a lot of the jobs for Australians. Thank you for your insights. And I think any of those companies mentioned or any not mentioned, Brent, um, please do reach out to Brent so that you can be on his podcast and also uh, get covered on the AU manufacturing website and get your story up there. Just chatting briefly about your podcast. Um, I'm assuming we can find it on the AU manufacturing website under podcast. We, we've, we're sort of just in the thick of reaching our website, but we will have a standalone podcast section up and about soon. So you can search for podcasts on our website as it stands or wait until we have our, our new and improved website out and see a much more obvious pointing of direction towards the, the podcast. We're also available on all pretty much all the platforms, even the tiny ones like Deezer. And uh, you can find us, if you're curious enough, by searching for AU Manufacturing Conversations. Fantastic. And uh, congratulations. And I wish you continued success with that. Tell us a Thank little you. bit. Tell us a little bit what you've got coming up for the rest of the year. Sure. Um, so we recently launched a campaign that's called Australia's 50 Most Innovative Manufacturers. And it's kind of a quasi awards affair in that there are applications to be filled out and uh, evaluations to be made by experts. And it's it's sort of has an awards feel like that, but it's not really an awards program. It's sort of more a celebration of people that are out there getting it done and who might not otherwise be recognized. So that's what we're doing at the moment. If you're interested, it's completely free to apply. You can find the link to do so on our website. And uh, we've had a decent amount of people come forward so far. We're hoping to get many more before the close of nominations, which is the 26th of May. And we'll be holding a little event at Australian Manufacturing Week on May 9, if anybody's curious to, to be a part of it and ask me anything in person and talk to some of the people who have been who've been kind enough to enter so far. And where will the um, Manufacturing Week be held? 
uh, that's at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Excellent. And it's the week of uh, May 9? That's correct. Fantastic. Now, where can our audience reach you? Well, I spend probably more time than is healthy on LinkedIn. Um, some people have an unhealthy relationship with Twitter, but the older I've got, the more time I've spent on LinkedIn. It's uh, arguably a kinder place, and while it's not perfect, that's where I spend a lot of my day. So uh, I respond, uh, respond, excuse me, to most, but the most obviously scammy sort of friend requests. So add me there, write me. I'll generally respond and uh, you can write me at brent at aumanufacturing.com.au, follow the podcast, you know, give me a call. I don't always pick up if I don't know the number, but if you leave a message, I'll, I'll return it. So I'm, you know, uh, for what it's worth, pretty accessible. And, uh, don't be a stranger. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Brent. And to our audience, uh, you have the invitation. I'll reach out to Brent on LinkedIn connect with him, follow their website, listen to their podcast, fascinating work, I've looked at it, um, great website, so congratulations Brent and thank you very much for your time today. Well thank you Nikki, it's been a pleasure and all the best with your podcast and your business and hopefully we speak again soon. Thank you very much and to our audience I hope you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, I look forward to your company next time and wherever you're on the world I hope you're well and look after yourself. Mm -hmm.